This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 121 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. Hey, I'm Tracy. And we just wanted to say welcome. Welcome guys. I hope you all had a fantabulous weekend. Yeah. Fantabulous. We had a good weekend or so. Got to see some good friends that we don't get to see as often. So Yeah. Hopefully everybody had the uh, same enjoyment. Man, do we got a lot of stuff going on. We do, actually. A whole lot of stuff. So we're just going to jump right into it. Okay. First of all, we've got a story tonight that's been one of the more requested ones. And like I said, it's it's the big ones we've kind of hold off on sometimes and kind of spread them out a little bit. But we're going to finish this year with a bang. So tonight we're going to do the Velisca Axe House uh, murders and the paranormal aspect of it as we do with true crime. We like to... Uh, Throw the paranormal part in and do it together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to do. Somebody suggested the other day that we do some cult stuff. And I'm not against doing some cult stuff. And they mentioned the uh, Jonestown Massacre since it just had the 40-year anniversary. Has but it been 40 years? 40 years. Wow. But we don't really have, at least I haven't found any paranormal aspects to it. And that's one of the reasons why I've held off on it. Because I do really want to do that, but it really doesn't fit in with the show. So Is that where they drank the Kool-Aid? Yes. Oh. It was actually Flavor-Aid. Flavor-Aid? Mm-hmm. You mean they didn't get real Kool-Aid on no. a chip? Yeah, Kool-Aid probably don't feel that way. They feel like they're probably getting screwed over by <laughs> and they're being attached to the whole thing when it mm-hmm. wouldn't have to begin with. Yeah. But, um, so anyways... I, we may end up doing that as a Patreon episode or something, because mm-hmm. that's kind of where we do like the true crime and stuff. And But if you guys, if, if there's enough of you that say, hey, I, we want to hear Jonestown, even though it's a little out of what we normally do, we can yeah, maybe absolutely. sneak it in there. Next couple of weeks, I don't mean necessarily the next two weeks in a row, but sometime before the end of December, we're going to do uh, Pennhurst Asylum. Mm-hmm. And because I'm feeling extra Pennsylvania-y, hmm. then we'll turn around and uh, do Eastern State Penitentiary. So those well. are two big ones, and we get asked about them all the time, just like we have the Velisca Axe House, and we're going to go ahead and do it. It's We've done most of the big ones so far. If, if it's something that's on a list, we've probably already done it, with the exception of these three. They're, they're probably the three biggest that we haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. So we're going to uh, give you what you want as a nice little Christmas present. Yes, ma'am? I was going to say, first off, before we get started, we want to thank all... Our military first responders. I think I heard that they have that fire in California uh, 100% contained. I pray to God that's true. And um, just bless your all's hearts for just working as hard as you have. All the nurses, everybody. I mean, you are so appreciated beyond measure. I I just can't imagine how exhausted you guys are. But... We're still praying for everybody and for everybody that's, you know, lost belongings or loved ones. 
we still pray for you guys. And please, if anybody needs anything, I don't really know what all we can do if we need to um, get clothes together, uh, anything like that. Please, please let us know, and we will do our best to help out as much as we can. While we're on that subject, and and, and I don't mean this to sound like a negative because it could be taken that way, but I don't want it to be that way. We have a, a nice audience that we can try to get help from mm-hmm. in situations like this. Unfortunately, we can't really always um, help out everybody who wants us to help out. And what I mean by that is we'll occasionally get something like some GoFundMe pages. Mm-hmm. Somebody will send mm-hmm. us a, and say, hey, can you post this? Some of them we do, but some of them we don't. And it's kind of a, a win lose situation in some cases because we would like to be able to post everybody's and help Mm -hmm. but we literally get a couple of days sent to us and if we posted every one of them it would be nothing but gofundme pages and some people would be really kind of like oh man that's you know not what we want to see in the group or whatever but we do occasionally have the ones i posted one the other day young lady single mother four who lost everything in a fire yeah and you know we we tried to post some of those but I just want to say that if you send us a GoFundMe and we don't share that on the on the uh, pages, it's not because we don't want to help. It's just because we literally have to draw yeah. the line somewhere. So. Yeah, and it's so hard right now, too, with the holidays happening and um, things like that. So we love you guys, and we'll try to do whatever we can. You know, you can send us a private message or whatever, and then we can just kind of take it from there. Now, obviously, this time of year, um, depression kicks mm-hmm. in with a lot of people anytime the holidays come yeah. in if you if you suffer from depression it seems to get a little worse during the holiday season so we want to mention once again that if you are feeling like you might want to harm yourself there are outlets out there that could help you please reach out grab a friend please don't uh, ever think that you're a burden on somebody that you don't have friends that would listen because trust me especially after spending a lot of time with friends this weekend, you you realize mm-hmm. what a treasure it is to have somebody out there mm-hmm. who will listen to you, Absolutely. even if you don't think they will. Give it a shot, and if you don't feel like you have that, you've got us. We're friends. You've got our Facebook group, which is the thing that I'm most thankful for because that thing has turned into the biggest support group, and it makes us so proud every day that you you guys help each other out. And then, um, like I said, then you've got the. Um, the fact you can just send us a message. But Suicide Hotline, once again, 1-800-273-8255. And if you're more of a texter, 741-741. All right. (sighs) Big deep breath. Yeah. You ready, babe? Yeah. Before we start on the story, I just want to touch on a couple of these real quick. Uh, I'm not going to get into big details, but we did finally get official the show for Bobby Mackey's. Great. If you guys didn't see where we posted it, Here's what we got. Bobby Mackey's Most Haunted Nightclub in America. All the major ghost shows have been there. And they have the official uh, paranormal team there that do all the tours, Gatekeeper Paranormal. We are teaming up with them to do a show on June 9th, which is a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Different than our other shows, but they're open on Fridays and Saturday nights, so we can't do a show in there. They are going to come in. Gatekeeper Paranormal is going to come in Sunday, 12 to 3 we're going to do a live show. They're going to tell the history of the place, and then they're going to give everybody who who's there a private one-hour tour mm-hmm. of the entire place. It's we will be. Cool. This is going to be us and only us inside this place. How cool is that? 
It's very cool. You guys, I think, are going to enjoy it. I know I've enjoyed it every single time I've gone in there. So Yeah. So, I mean, we do shows, but we're usually at a restaurant. Yeah. We're actually doing this show inside of one of the most haunted places in America. That's awesome. Best part? It's 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. 25 bucks gets you three hours of show, um, any kind of pictures and stuff you want to take of the place, and an hour tour. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you this, if you call for a tour, it costs you at least $25 just for a tour. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we've got it worked out to be able to get the tour and, and everything else for 25 bucks. Here's the downside. There are only 50 tickets mm-hmm. available, and two of those were purchased as soon as we announced it. Mm-hmm. So if you want these... Even though it's in June, you might want to snatch these up because um, we can only do 50. The place holds 500, but they can only do tours mm-hmm. of 25 each. Right. There'll be two of them there. And so they're going to have one start upstairs and one start downstairs. So we'll be doing the tours at the same time, but we'll mm-hmm. be on opposite floors. But that's why we can only have 50 people. They can't accommodate more than that for tour-wise. Indianapolis show, June 22nd, a couple weeks later. Brohio, Miss Jordan, uh, Jordan, Justin Rimmel, Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances, uh, was it Rev 69? I think mm-hmm. it's his other one. All three of us will be there, same place we were last time. That's going to be a fun show. That's only a $15 ticket. We've got our birthday show, August 24th. Tony Bruschi from Real Ghost Stories Online, Grave Talks, will be there. We've already sold, I think, seven tickets for that. There's only 60 available. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's one you want to snatch. We already sold some for the indie show. There's only 60 tickets available for that one. And then October 5th, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, home of the Mothman. We're going to have uh, Brohio and History Goes Bump. Yep. So Diane, uh, student, will be there for that one. Those are all available on our website. So go to the website, heavilyhorrorstories.com. Go to events, and all of those are there. All you got to do is click on the link. You can buy tickets. And uh, these things will make great Christmas presents. So surprise your loved one with a trip to a haunted nightclub. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to get into this? We'll do the iTunes reviews and the Patreon in the, in okay, the middle of the show. Or get, we'll give a little bit of a break. Okay. All right. This one's a big one, guys. It's a biggie. It's a big one. <laughs> my, my notes weigh about four pounds. <laughs> 40 pages or 39 pages of notes. That's great, babe. And that may be the most we've I've done. I think that's, that's right there. So, Good job. I know you right. worked hard on it. So at the end of a very quiet street in Villisca, Iowa, there's an old white frame house. It's on a street that's got a few churches, a few blocks down the road. You've got a middle school and a park. It's just like several of the other houses, little modest homes in this neighborhood, except for one thing. There's a sign out front that says, Villisca Axe Murder House. Oh, dang. <laughs> that's kind of a turn off. <laughs> well... You see, this particular house was home to the biggest unsolved mass murder in the state of Iowa and one of the biggest in the United States. Normally, at this point, we would do some history in the house when it was built and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. The history of the house, though, isn't really all that important to this story. It doesn't really pertain. What happened here on June 10th, 1912, is a very different story. On this night, eight people were brutally murdered while they slept when a mysterious stranger broke into the house and bludgeoned them with an axe. So let's learn a little bit about who was in the house at the time of the murders. So first, you've got Josiah Moore. He went by Joe. He's 43-year-old, and he owned his own business where he sold farm equipment, Mm -hmm. basically. His wife, Sarah Moore, 39 years old, was in the house. Then they've got their four children. 
Herman, he was the oldest. He was 11 years old. Catherine was 10. Boyd was 7. And Paul was 5. Then you got two friends of Catherine's. Lena Stillinger, she was 12. And Ina Stillinger, she was 8 years old. So what happened was on Sunday, June 9th, Joe and Sarah, they took their kids to a program at the, Presby- at the Presbyterian Church down the road where they attended. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a, like a Sunday school program. It was called the Children's Day Service. And at this uh, event, the children would like read little speeches and do little performances mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like school plays. Yeah. And, like you would have. So around the holiday time. Sarah Moore was a co-director here at the Sunday school. So she was, you mm-hmm. know, one of the people who was leading all of this. So after the service, there was a little bit of social mingling, like you would think would happen, and all this ended around 9.30. They wrapped it up. Lena and Ina Stillinger, uh, during this time, had requested to spend a night with the Moors. Mm-hmm. So they all left the church. It was a cloudy, damp, cool night. It was a short walk to the Moore house, about three blocks. When they got home, they all settled down, had a nice little snack of milk and cookies before going to bed. What happened after this was a total shock to the little town of Villisca. Keep in mind, the events I'm going to describe were put together by investigators that were at the scene of the crime. Because mm-hmm. some of this stuff you're going to be like, how do you know that? Oh, well, yeah, right. This is basically the assumption. So maybe it's not all exactly what happened, but it's mm-hmm. pieced together by professional investigators. So obviously, like I said, it may not be exact, but it's based on evidence. So sometime between... 12 a.m. and 5 a.m. on June 10th, the killer or killers picked up an axe that belonged to Joe Moore. They came into the house. So the door was unlocked because most homes in the town of Villisca were unlocked because that was not an issue back then. It was very unusual for anybody to lock their door, as a matter of fact, at this time. After grabbing the axe coming in the house, he then lit a lantern. He set it on a really low light. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb right here. And say, even though this is an unsolved murder, this, I'm going to assume this was a man. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to refer the rest of the thing to him. Okay. Because I just, I just don't, I don't know if there was two. I don't know if there was a woman. Right. I'm just going to say him because it just seems more logical. So after grabbing, you know, the axe and lighting the, uh, uh, the lantern, he went through the house with an axe in one hand and a lantern in the other hand. So let's fast forward, though. Past the crimes for a second, let's jump to the next morning. And we're going to see how all this was discovered. So it was about 7, 7.30 in the morning, June 10th, 1912. There was a neighbor named Mary Peckham. And she happened to notice at around that 7 to 7.30 range that the house was extremely quiet. Mm-hmm. And you might think, well, what do you mean... Just extremely quiet. I mean, what the hell's a house supposed to look like at seven thirty in the morning? Well, maybe she's thinking they had a they have a routine they do or something. And every that's day. A, and that's exactly what it is. Usually, the children were out doing chores by now, or somebody was out doing chores. Mm-hmm. And she said it was. It almost seemed like it was deserted. So she waited a few minutes, and then she decided to go over and knock on the door. There was no answer, and the door was locked, which we already established was a little strange to yeah, begin with. Yeah, because they with. never locked their door. Nobody ever locked the door. Which is craziness. So she decided, well, not back here it wouldn't, because crime wasn't rampant like it is today. Well, I still wouldn't. <laughs> so she decided that she was going to be nice and she was going to feed their chickens for them. A few minutes later, she still hadn't heard anything. She finished feeding the chickens. She decides to call Joe's brother, Ross Moore. 
And Ross was a pharmacist in town, so he, he was pretty close. She decided to come on over here and, and help her with trying to figure out what was going, going on. on. She just mm-hmm. thought it seemed strange. So he gets there around 8 a.m. When Ross got there, he used his key that he did have to let himself into the house. He went inside to look around. He went through the parlor. And when he got to the guest bedroom, he was greeted by a grisly sight. He saw a bed with two bloody, disfigured young girls. Oh, my gosh. Lena and Ina Stillinger were under blood-soaked sheets and a lantern at the foot of the bed. Oh, my gosh. And all they were doing was spending the night. That mm-hmm. sucks. Ross immediately exited the house, and he asked Mary to call for help. So Mary called Joe's hardware store, which I will never for the life of me understand how that works. She So instead of calling the police, she calls Joe's hardware store, and there was a gentleman by the name of Ed Seeley who answered the phone, and he was told that something terrible had happened. Please go get the police. So I don't know why they didn't cut yeah, the middleman, yeah, yeah. and I haven't been able to find anything to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Ed went to get uh, Marshal Hank Horton. Hank Horton got to the house around 8.30, and he looked around the premises. He came out with horrible news. He said someone had been murdered in every bed in the house. Oh, man. The entire Moore family of six and the two girls that were sleeping over had all been killed with an axe. Each hit in the head 20 (gasps) to 30 times. All were unrecognizable. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord. Joe was the only victim that the sharp end of the axe was used on. I wonder why. There'll be some, maybe some insight into that in a little Did bit. Did he had to be totally exhausted from doing that so many times on the same person? What is the point of that? I don't know. So police, coroners, and ministers went around and examined the entire crime scene, which was the entire house at this point. The news had started to spread. So at this point, over 100 people uh, were gathering outside the home. At the time the the crowd was gathering, officials inside the house were now creating a timeline of the events that happened. So this was no easy task. Uh, when you figure out that the figure, you know, figuring out the timeline or exactly what happened because mm-hmm. there was so many oh different God, things you, here at one time. Start? Yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. I'm sure. So there were some very odd things that took place in the house during the murders, almost ritualistic. First, they found two cigarette butts in the attic. This made the police think that the killer waited for the Moore family to come home and then go to bed. It was also believed that the killer may have actually spent time in the barn before coming to the attic because there were some indents in the hay mm-hmm. that looked like maybe a person had been there. And there was also a small hole in the um, floor, the barn, which had a good view of the house where oh, he could have been okay. in there and viewed when they were coming and going. So they believed that the parents, Joe and Sarah, were killed first. The axe had been swung so ferociously that there were gouges in the ceiling from the axe. Oh, my God. So they he swung up yes. so hard that it put big gashes, and then he would have came down just as hard. Too bad it didn't hit himself in the head. <laughs> Joe was hit so hard that his eyes had popped out of his head. Oh, God. The killer then went to the children's room. 
he killed all four children, Herman, Boyd, Catherine, and Paul. Here's where the weird stuff starts. So Herman, the, the oldest, his face was covered in an undershirt. Covered in an undershirt? Yeah. So after he killed him, he took an undershirt and covered his face. Catherine was covered, her head was covered in a dress. At this point, they discovered a shoe that had been filled with blood at one point. It had spilled over. And then by the, I guess, the footprints showed that the killer then went back into the parents' room and hit them some more. I just don't understand this. This is sick. So then the killer went down to the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were sleeping. Police believe that when the killer actually got into the room, he found Lena Stillinger still awake. And the reason they think this is because she had defense wounds on her arm. She was also laying crossways across the bed and had a bloody spot on her knee, which kind of indicated that maybe she had been grabbed Mm -hmm. with a bloody hand because that's where the mark came from. Everybody else was just killed. There was no need to grab them. And because she just wasn't in a normal sleeping like the rest of them, and and, because they were all just laying just as they were sleeping because she was different, they think that either she was awake when she came in and may have even heard something and been hiding and was caught and dragged back to the bed. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. And like I said, her right arm had a um, a mark on it, which would have came from her mm-hmm. throwing her arm up and yeah. to keep from being hit. Police initially thought that she had been sexually assaulted because her um, nightgown had mm-hmm. been pulled up mm-hmm. over her face, but exposing mm-hmm. the lower half of her body. But uh, an autopsy proved that there was no sexual assault. Now we got more of the ritualistic stuff that we were talking about. So the axe was found leaning against the wall in the guest bedroom where the Stillinger sisters were. It had been partially cleaned. There was also two pound slab of bacon, uncooked bacon, wrapped in a towel that was laying beside the axe along with part of a keychain. What in the world? No idea. The killer also apparently went through the dressing drawers and then he used clothes from the drawers to cover up all of the mirrors in every room, all of the windows in the house, as well as the entry door. Then the killer went to the kitchen. He fixed a meal that he didn't eat. And then there was a, uh, they think he washed his hands because there was a bowl of bloody water on the table next to the plate of food. At this point, they think he got the bacon out of the fridge, put it in the guest room for an unknown reason, and then he took a key, left, and locked the door behind him. So after gathering all this information, police left. They told everybody outside, do not enter the house. Yeah. First of all, it's a crime scene. They don't need people mm-hmm. trancing because they're going to have to go back in if they need to and get more information in case they miss something. Did they listen? No. What? They even told the people, they said, look, if you go in that house, you will regret what you see for the rest of your life. Yeah, I imagine so. Unfortunately, so unfortunately this time, fingerprinting hadn't become mainstream yet and it was important to keep the crime scene intact. 
But morbid curiosity got the best of the people, and they started going in the house. Why One, didn't the police stop them? Well, I mean, the police, I guess, had left. I mean, I don't guess that you're, you're in a little town of Beliska. There's not exactly a huge police force there to, to be able to keep people out. So the people start going in, they're rummaging through stuff, they're taking, you know, whatever they can out of it just as a, you know, keepsake. One even kept a skull fragment from Joe as a keepsake. Oh my lord. So now they're the crime sick as that killer is. Yeah, so now the crime scene it was completely trashed. And what are you gonna do? So all the police had to go on was the info they got that morning and mm-hmm. there was no going back to get anything new. Police had very few leads. They did a search of the town and um, countryside that was that was part of the, the area right there. But with approximately a five-hour head start, as they they figured, mm-hmm. the killer could be long gone. They brought in bloodhounds, but with the crime scene being trampled over by all those different people, there was no success at all with that. The funerals of the Moors and the Stillingers, it was a joint funeral. Mm-hmm. They did them uh, two days after the murders on June 12th. And... 50 carriages took the bodies to the funeral. Obviously, they were closed caskets. Mm-hmm. So, Definitely. You know, but thousands of people showed up at Town Square, and uh, they were buried at Villisca Cemetery. God, this is such a disturbing thing. It's just awful. So what, what do you think we got here as far as... Um, possible suspects well the first was a gentleman by the name of frank jones he was the very first one he had been an iowa state senator and he was a business rival of joe moore see joe actually worked for frank jones for seven years before starting his own business which was now a competitor to frank jones Mm -hmm. everyone in town knew that they hated each other but nobody would say that it was enough hatred to where this guy would have you know Mm -hmm. joe's whole family murdered yeah There was also a rumor going around that uh, Joe had been having an affair with Frank's daughter-in-law at the time, but there was actually no proof of that, Mm -hmm. but there was a rumor going around. Joe's brother-in-law, Sam Lawyer, had also been questioned because uh, it was known that he hated Joe Moore, and he previously made comments that he would kill Joe Moore. Sam had a solid alibi, though, and plus this would have been his sister. Yeah. And so... Probably not really an option Mm -hmm. that you would really widely consider. Another suspect eventually came to light, a man by the name of Henry Lee Moore. He's no relation. He became a suspect because he killed his mother and grandmother with an axe just a few months after the Moore murders. A lot of axe murders going on I don't get it, man. There was no strong evidence against him at all, and there was no connection to the Moore family. So Wait. Well, wasn't that guy in prison after killing his mom and... Well, he killed his mom two months after these murders. So it was like after he killed his mom and grandma, it was like, oh, well, he killed them with an axe. Maybe he's the guy that did this, but they couldn't make any connection to say he was the one who killed the whole family. Yeah, but he should have been in prison, though, after the fact, right? Well, I'm sure he is, yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that... That, No, I They can prove that that. this murder was connected to him. In a similar turn of events, Bucky Mansfield... He became a suspect when he killed his baby, his wife, and his in-laws with an axe after the Moore murder, but he was also a suspect in the axe murder murders in Kansas just two days before the Villisca axe murders. So this guy 
kills his wife, kid, and in-laws. And then two days before this murder, he was a suspect of this huge axe murder in Kansas, which we talked about when we did our axe murder show before, when we did just a bunch of them, we mm-hmm. touched on all these just a little bit. So many thinks that he was hired by Frank Jones, the senator, mm-hmm. to kill them. So he didn't do it himself, but he hired he this Bucky guy to yeah. go do it. The grand jury, though, refused to indict him, and supposedly he had an alibi that checked out. So, oh but look at all these people just in the same area that, that is, have killed people with axes. Bizarre. What's wrong with these people? Well, Detective James Wilkerson said that he felt like Bucky was a cocaine-addicted serial killer, and he had killed many people. So Bucky was arrested again, but payroll records provided him an alibi. Mm-hmm. So Bucky, once again, not only got out of jail. I was like, why is he working? <laughs> but he sued and got $2,500. <gasps> See, this is effed up. So Detective Wilkinson, he thinks that Senator Frank Jones had somebody, you know, had something to do with this guy getting released because he was a senator, so he had some pull. God. There was even a restaurant store owner that said he saw Bucky coming from Villisca the morning of the murders. So that would prove right there Mm -hmm. that his alibi was wrong because he would have been in town. So who knows? So the last suspect found actually eventually made a confession and then recanted it. So you got a reverend by the name of Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. He was an English immigrant and he had a history of mental problems and sexual deviancy. He'd been caught peeping through some young girls in the past. Mm -hmm. He was a visiting minister and had been in uh, a few different cities that was just outside of Villisca, a few days before the murder, mm-hmm. he'd been doing some preaching and stuff. He was a small guy, though, about five foot two, and he had a small stature and a very, very meek personality. So this made some police doubt that there was any way he could be involved because, as you discussed, that axe, you know, with hitting somebody 20, 30 times yeah. would have been a lot of effort. Right. And then you figure the gouges in the ceiling. So and they were thinking, it, well, they were thinking they, he could, but they think it might have been a little tougher. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to use that to gauge how tall this guy, and it would have been five foot two. You know, it was it was a thought that yeah. maybe he couldn't do that. But there were certain factors that made him a perfect candidate, mainly the fact that he was left-handed. Police had determined that the blood splatter that the killer looked to be a left-handed person. Wow! So this fit him. He also had some history with the Moore family. Many people saw him watching the Moores at the, the Children's Day service that they attended before the murder that same day. You see, he was the preacher at the service, like mm-hmm. a guest preacher. He arrived in Villisca the day before. He supposedly had also been watching them in, uh, in about town before the service. So for some reason, he seemed to be fascinated with them before the service and during the service. There was a dry cleaner in a nearby town that said that uh, he received bloody clothes from Kelly a few days after the murders. Why in the world would you do that? What? Well, did you miss the part about he had some mental issues in the past? I mean, I, I know that, <laughs> but still, there's got to be some kind of common sense in there somewhere. Well, here's the other thing. Two weeks after the murders, he returned to Villisca and pretended to be a detective from the Scotland Yard <laughs> and asked for a tour of the home with other detectives that were viewing the home. I mean, 
This is a minister, and he comes back two weeks later. Oh, my goodness. Gracious. So here's here's some of the most damning evidence, though. And, and this is what, I'll say it before we even get to the end. This is what makes me think he was the murderer. At 519 on the morning uh, of the actual murder, he left Villisca on the westbound train, number five train. He allegedly told an elderly couple on the train that there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, butchered in their beds while they slept. Keep in mind what time the bodies were discovered. Mm -hmm. 8.30 a.m. Yeah. He supposedly told these people this on a train at 5.19 a.m. before anybody discovered the bodies. Oh, man. So police became interested in, in him a few weeks after the murders because he had been writing letters to police and the living relatives of the Moore family. He said in these letters that he heard noises that day and possibly saw something. So after the Moore family starts saying, hey, we're getting letters from this mm -hmm. minister, they start checking him out. Two years later, he was arrested for sexually harassing a woman who was trying to be his secretary. He was sent to a mental hospital in Washington, D.C. That's when he started becoming a suspect again. Three years after that, so now we're five years after the murder, he was arrested for the crime. On August 31st, 1917, he signed a confession saying, God whispered to him, suffer the children to come unto me. He said he killed the children upstairs first and then the children downstairs. He then said a voice said, slay utterly and went on because he said he was in the grip of something he did not understand. So this is coming straight from him. I thought the parents were killed first, though. But, but he, he was talking about just the children, though. Oh, okay. Which that was accurate, according to what they thought. The children upstairs were killed first and then mm. downstairs. He recanted the confession at trial, though. And the case went on to a jury on, on uh, September 26th. It should also be noted that the elderly couple on the train also recanted their story. Oh! <gasps> No way. Why would they do that? No idea. So the jury acquitted him twice. Oh, my gosh. No one else was ever even tried for the murder of the crimes, and it remains one of the most horrific unsolved mass murders in American history. That is insane. So let's recant. Or re recant. I'm not recanting anything. Let's review some of this. So you've got a senator that apparently hated him. Uh, Joe Moore hated mm -hmm. him. He was a competitor in business and also felt like that he might have been having an affair with his daughter-in-law. Mm -hmm. So you got him. Then you've got the Bucky mm -hmm. who may or may not have been hired by this guy mm -hmm. and who also had already committed another axe murder after the fact. So we know he's capable and we feel like that he may be connected. Somehow or another with the senator, because a lot of people think the senator might have hired him. And there's question about whether his alibi or not checked out by the restaurant mm -hmm. owner who saw, said he saw him in the morning. Then you've got the other guy who killed people with an axe murder that have had an alibi. And you got the reverend who admitted to killing them and then recanted the story. So much like the Lizzie Borden case, obviously another axe murder case, 
you've got several different people that, I mean, you could pretty much draw out of a hat and feel like you would well, be hell, right. there's all kind of people just walking around with swinging axes and crap and just walking around <laughs> and getting a daggone cheeseburger. How the hell do you know they got a cheeseburger? Well, I don't know, but that is so frustrating. That is the most frustrating and horrible story I've ever heard in my life. And the thing of it is, if that happened today with the technology we've got, they Mm -hmm. could probably find the killer fairly easy. Mm Mm-hmm. But. I I just, it's so hard to believe that this, like, the senator would hate somebody so much to do that to them and their whole family, which had nothing to do with it. And those two little girls had nothing to do with any of it. It's mind boggling. That, and that's another reason why I think it sounds, I mean, obviously you've got two or three people that in this story that had no problem killing somebody with an accident. No. But that was their own family. So yeah. there's mental issues to begin with. Um, I don't know. There, there were the one guy, I think it was, I hate to even say this because I didn't put it in the story and I'm I'm going to get the stories wrong. But it was one of the two guys, either Bucky or the other guy mm-hmm. that killed uh, his family with axes, also had somebody after the fact. And I think it was Bucky that said that, that when he was working for them, that the, he walked up on him at a time and he was like just, he was there with his axe. Like he carried an axe everywhere. Oh, wow. And he just walked up on the guy, and the guy didn't know he was coming up. And he was basically just looking at some uh, bales of hay or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, I killed him. I killed every one of them. And, and, it, and he was like... So he so, told that to the guy that No, was he like, was just saying it. Like, like there was well, nobody there, and this guy no. was just saying this, like talking to bales of hay. And, you know, it's like... So there, there's no tellings what the hell is wrong with some of these yeah, people. Yeah, and that's really... That's such a sad thing. Oh, my goodness. You know, I... <sighs> I don't know. A mental, mental health issues are just horrible. And back They're then, horrible. they didn't diagnose them the way that right, they diagnose right. them today. You know, and it's the sad. It's so sad. It's the saddest thing ever. Man, I, good lord, I'm gonna have to watch some Andy Griffith tonight before I go to bed. <laughs> this is just, this is heartbreaking and disturbing. And well, let's do this. Before we get into the paranormal aspects of the story, and trust me, there's plenty of those, let's do our iTunes reviews okay. real quick. So we got IDU, which, which, don't like me. which hates Tracy and wants her gone off the show, was very I'm adamant annoying. about that. Yes, she's annoying. Tell, tell me something I don't know. Blech. You got Mick Rainey and uh, Miss Lisa Marlene. Thank you guys so much for your Patreon Yo. reviews. Yeah, thank you for your reviews. I said Patreon views. It's an iTunes review. I know Either you way. did, but Either you way. know we appreciate you. We know so you know much. what we mean. Hey, Even once the a, mean ones. Once again, a fantastic Christmas present from all of you guys would be an iTunes review. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, something free, something easy helps us out a lot. Yeah, it sure does. Patreon. We got Sarah Roscoe, Michelle Campbell, N. Just N. Just a letter mm-hmm. N. Mm-hmm. Jamie Greco, Andrea. Just Andrea, like Madonna. Mm-hmm. Benjamin McKee, thank you guys so much for uh, becoming patrons. Yeah, this week. thank you guys. We appreciate y'all so much. And I'm going to bring up this because somebody actually sent me a message and said they wanted to get their. They asked me how to sign up for Patreon uh-huh. because they wanted to get their wife Aww. a Patreon subscription for Christmas. Well, how nice is that? And I started thinking, well, maybe other people would like to do that. So if you guys want to become Patreon supporters and you're not already, go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And you can, there's a Patreon link on there. You just click mm-hmm. to it and take you to our Patreon. 
pick the level that you want. It doesn't charge you until the following month. So if you sign up now, mm-hmm. no charge at all until December 1st. Yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll just annoy the hell out of y'all. Yeah, absolutely. That? If you think you're annoyed now, wait till you get an extra 200 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so you got that. And then uh, that's also where our store is. So yeah, if you want to buy yeah. any heavily horror store merchandise for somebody for Christmas, there you go. That would be you really amazing. don't. You really don't need to go anywhere else. Hillbillyhorrorstories.com. You can buy <laughs> tickets. You can buy Patreons. And you can buy all kinds of merchandise, including shower curtains, for somebody for Christmas. So why waste your time on Amazon? That's what I say. <laughs> we love it and appreciate y'all. So, yeah, we wanted to go ahead and just uh, throw that out there real quick. So let's talk about the paranormal aspects. So since the crime, there have been several other people living that house. Uh Oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine living in that house. <laughs> and of course, during the period of time, you know, you're talking 100 years, there's been mm-hmm. renovations and stuff like that taking over. So things have changed. The house wouldn't exactly like it used to be back in the time of the murder. When 1994, Darwin and Martha Lynn bought the house after being approached by a realtor. And the Lynn's owned a, uh, a place called the Olson Lynn Museum in Villisca Town Square already. So they were already into the, mm-hmm. the history part, preserving the history. They felt that owning this house would actually give them a chance to preserve even more of the town's history, so they went ahead and bought it. The house was in really bad shape at the time, because it sat vacant for a long time. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, there's a bunch of people lived there, but then it's, there was a stretch where it sat vacant. And it was in such bad shape that there was talk of tearing it down. Mm-hmm. So they decided to keep that from happening. That was the deciding factor in them purchasing the home. They immediately went to work and restoring the place to the original condition that it was at the time of the murders. They used old pictures to help in the uh, restoration. They removed the vinyl siding that had been put on the outside. They repainted the original wood uh, finish of the exterior. They removed a couple of enclosed porches that were on the front and the back. And all of the indoor plumbing and electrical fixtures were removed. That is crazy. I don't... I kind of get why they want to do that, but why in the heck would you do that? Well, because they wanted it to be just like it was at the original yeah, time. Yeah, but that's that's just too creepy. <laughs> the Lens were not able to replace the original furniture, mm-hmm. obviously, that was in the place because most of that was gone. But they were able to buy similar furniture and antiques and put them in the proper places by using testimonies and records from the coroners and the jury hearings. Oh gosh! So they that's, went through a lot. Amazing. They went to a lot of extreme mm-hmm. measures to make this place look like it exactly did the day of the murders. I'm so, surprised people even wanted to go there. I mean, talk about it, tell them what to do or what was there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I would think that would be such horrible memories for them. Oh, you can imagine. So the Morris House. Um, opened up to paranormal investigation years ago. Many people who stayed there, a few, have been disappointed. There was a radio DJ from Des Moines, Iowa, who he stayed there for a little bit, and he said he was awoken in the middle of the night by children talking and laughs. Mm -hmm. I don't think he stayed much longer. Oh, (laughs) I I don't know. I've been out there. Because there were no children at the house at the time. Yeah. In 2017, WHO Radio sent their morning team out there, an entire... Uh, crew spent the night. Bonnie Lucas said that she wasn't scared, but it was very eerie, especially with the wind blowing the way that it was the night before. So mm-hmm. you could imagine how that was. Her co-host, Van, he didn't see any ghosts, but he did notice something very unusual on a picture that he took on his cell phone. 
He said there was a strange photo popped up on his screen. Like, mm-hmm. like he didn't take the picture. It just popped up mm. while he was watching it. <laughs> and he said, at first he was like, what the hell was that? And he said, then it, it appeared like it was hands coming down from the ceiling in this picture. But he said, then it vanished and it didn't come back. No. <laughs> Pat Busson from uh, Wisconsin went on a day tour in 2009. And he said it was just a little basic tour of the house in a cemetery. He said he's been hooked ever since. Paranormal activity-wise, Pat said he's collected several EVPs. Pat said as far as paranormal activity goes, it comes through loud and proud here. Pat said he's called to um, out to the more children and the Stillinger girls and uh, to turn on flashlights mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. like that. And he said they always do. <gasps> no way. Pat said he's felt cold spots in the house with zero explanation of what they'd be. Because keep in mind, there's no electricity here. So if right. you're here in the summer, yeah, it shouldn't be it's cold. hot. Yeah. And there shouldn't be cold spots. He says the guest room where the Stillinger girls were killed seems to be uh, like the hot spot. It seems to be where he gets mm-hmm. the best activity at. Pat believes that based on his personal experience in EVP is that all the spirits of the eight that were killed there still remain in the house. So the question would be, Why? Is it due to the trauma from the incident? Is it because the house was the last place they knew? Could it be fear? Mm-hmm. Or could it be a mixture of all of it? That would be my guess. It's yeah. probably a mixture of things. Pat said the house has a mystique all of its own, and an overnight stay will convince even the most avid skeptics that paranormal does real. exist. Yeah. So Martha Lynn, who owns the place, she said that paranormal investigators come there and play with children. They hear voices, and they get all kinds of uh, pictures with anomalies in it. She said she's got a notebook full of overnight experiences that people have shared just over a couple-year of period. So very few go away without experiencing something, she said. Due to the overwhelming number of paranormal experiences reported, the house has obviously become one of the most regularly visited for ghost hunters. Some have been allowed to bring in the original axe from the murder into the house. Get out of here with that. I'm not sure where they get that or any of that. My guess is that that original axe is probably in their museum. Oh, gosh. So that's going to lead us to the last bit of the story. On November 7th, 1914, a truly unexplainable and unthinkable event happened here. Robert Stephen Lorson, 37 years old from Wisconsin, he arrived with some friends and they were going to do what they considered a recreational paranormal investigation, which means they're not professionals. They're just yeah. basically, hey, we want to spend a night and see what we can come up with. All of this ended, though, at about 12.45 a.m., which is the approximate time that the axe murder supposedly happened, when Montgomery County Police got a phone call. Robert Lawerson's junior's friends had found him in a Northwest bedroom with a self-inflicted stab wound to the chest. Their friends had been outside, or his friends, you know, they, they had all been outside. You mean the guy that, that went with them to spend the night? Yeah. So all of, he was in the bedroom by himself. All of his friends were outside, and they had these two-way radios. And um, he called for help to his friend on the radio and said, hey, I need help. They get upstairs, and they say he's 
stabbed himself in the chest. Not like by I fell on a knife, just for whatever reason, he stabbed himself. He was rushed to a nearby hospital, and then he was helicoptered to Creighton University Hospital Medical Center in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Robert made a full recovery from his injury, so there's no issues there. Now, Sheriff Sampson said he had been on the force since 1992 and had never been called to the Villisca House for any kind of emergencies in the past. Now, the town obviously drew lots of media attention, you know, because of this situation. And the police and the Lens were flooded with media uh, requests. Now, Martha Lynn said that it's publicity, but not the kind of publicity that you would want. She said, I don't want people thinking if they come to the Villisca House that something is going to happen that will make them do something like that to themselves. I want them to have a good experience and learn about the history. And if something paranormal happens, then that's just a bonus. So the question is, is the Vliska Axe House haunted? It would be hard to believe that it's not haunted with a tragedy that happened like that. And Well, I'm sure that guy just ain't going to stab himself in the chest for the heck of it. Well, he could have done it for attention or he could Oh my God. Well, he's dumb. Why would he do that? Well, let's keep in mind, though. Kelly Rundle did a documentary called Vliska Living uh, with a Mystery. And Rundle says that the... Story reads pretty much like fiction. The more you know about it, the weirder it becomes. He said this is a story that needs no embellishment whatsoever. Now, Rundle also said he began filming his documentary in the 1990s, and he said there was little talk of the house being haunted at that time. He said in years of filming in the house, he never saw or experienced anything out of the ordinary, nor did any of the previous occupants before it became a tourist attraction. Man, oh man. The first is being really loud. (laughs) The first paranormal investigators investigated the house in 1999. They declared the house that was haunted, and they uh, said that they could identify who the killer was. So before this, visitors came only because they were intrigued by the place, merely by its, you know, just because the murders happened there. But it wouldn't have anything to do with paranormal activity. He said it's unfortunate that most people aren't interested in the true story of the house itself. He said, if you're just going to get, if you're just coming here to get scared, I don't know what you learned from that. He said, there's a body of folklore surrounding the Moore murders. And that in itself is fascinating. So long as you keep in mind that it's folklore, not fact. So Rundle says, I regard paranormal sightings as a contemporary version of that folklore. It's an extension of the folklore that began the day of the murder. Folklore can tell you more about how people see themselves and how they see the world rather than it does the facts surrounding the case. So what do you think? I think that was, wow. It's quite the uh, journey, wasn't it? Yeah, it sure was. So based on what you heard, who do you think would be your number one suspect? Oh gosh, I don't know. I, I really don't. I don't. I don't know. I think it's got to be the Reverend. I mean, I'm leaning toward him. It's just so so hard to fathom that that he would, could do such a thing. Well, it's not really when you figure he's left-handed. He did. He did sign a confession. Yeah. Saying that he did it. He was in town. You've got the couple saying that they said that he he 
there was people murdered three hours before the bodies were found. I just find all that too I mean, much to overcome. And I don't see if he did if he signed a confession that he did it. Why wasn't he in prison? Because he recanted his confession. Okay, don't matter. Well, people do that all the yeah. time, though. Yeah. I mean, it's a look to play devil's advocate. It's a why proven, would you say it though? But it's a proven fact that people make confessions all the time under pressure that aren't accurate. Okay, but why would he do that? The he's supposed reason, to be a man of God. Why would reason, he do that? Because he's also has mental health issues. You ever seen that movie Frailty? Yeah. See, I mean, that guy was supposed to be a man of God. He thought he was telling him to kill demons. Yeah. And it's very sad. It's just a sad thing. Very sad. It is very sad. Now I'm going to go watch Andy Griffith. Well, go right ahead. Guys, thank you. I hope you enjoyed. Like I said, we got a couple of uh, good good ones coming up for in this next month. Mm-hmm. If you got, you know, don't hesitate to jump in the group or send us a message if you've got a story that you yeah, that we do. haven't done yet. Now, I will <laughs> I will say this: we get stories all the time or our emails where people's like, "Hey, why don't you do one on?" Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "Okay, we did that on episode thirty nine because some people start listening to new ones and they don't yeah, listen and they to don't all realize, of them. Yeah, <clears throat> but I'm just saying, if you're going to make a suggestion, maybe just flip through. Yeah, if you've not listened to all the episodes, maybe just flip through the uh, titles of the shows that are out there, and you probably find it. We've done most of them. Mm-hmm. There's very few that we haven't done, and and sometimes people will send us suggestions, and. They would be more suitable for like our shorts mm-hmm. that we do on the Patreon because there's just not very much information out there. No, but please, by all means, send us some stories. That would be great. Yeah, just don't get offended if we don't put it on the main show yeah. because I mean, some of these stories that I that people have sent us, hey, why don't you do the one on? And then I'll look it up, and I mean, literally, I would have ten minutes at most to talk about. Oh, it. really? Yeah, yeah, so there's just there's just not enough information out there. It's not that it's not a good story. No. But that's why we started doing the shorts on Patreon because that's exactly what those are for. There were so many stories out there that were only eight to ten minutes mm-hmm. that we don't want to do a regular show that's got five of those on it. Yeah. Even though we've done that on occasion. Mm-hmm. But you know, so Of course just, when I read it it gets stretched out like longer than ten minutes, so Yeah. When Tracy reads <laughs> it ends up being we're 15 minutes in, and all we've done is got past the introduction. <laughs> we talk about okay, us. that's exaggeration. Okay. <laughs> anyway, guys, we love you, and uh, we appreciate you. We hope you all have a great week, and everybody get their shopping on. And mm-hmm. I keep wanting to buy stuff to decorate the house with, and we have enough. So. We have more stuff in this house that's Christmas-related. I can't help it. Let me explain this to you. We have, if you walk in our little half-bathroom, there is a Santa Claus cover on the toilet seat and a Santa Claus rug underneath of it. That's too much Christmas stuff. Yeah. Are you kidding me? When, when, you when, must be tripping. When you're, when you're already putting Santa Claus stuff on the toilet, that's it's too so much. That's so cute. Anyways. But, so we keep trying to buy Christmas gifts and Tracy keeps, I spent $80 a day. Oh, good. Who do you buy gifts for? Oh, nothing. I bought more stuff to put in the house and outside. <laughs> That's so So pretty. if you don't I get a Christmas it. gift, it's because <laughs> it's probably spent on the third or fourth Christmas tree that we didn't need. Oh. So. We love you guys. We hope you have a great week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Guys, we know the times are tough right now and everybody's really busy. It's hard to come up with that perfect gift for that perfect someone. I got the answer for you. Your one-stop shop for all of your Christmas shopping needs. HillbillyHorrorStories.com 
What can you get on HillbillyHorrorStories.com? How about a Patreon subscription for that true Hillbilly Horror Story fan on your Christmas list? Or maybe you want to get a shirt or a shower curtain, a mug, or even a hoodie. You can get that in our store on there. Or maybe you want to take that certain someone to Bobby Mackey's for an all-out experience with a show and a tour inside one of America's most haunted places. But hey, you don't have to come to Bobby Mackey's. You can buy all of our event tickets on there. Indianapolis. Soon it's going to be Kansas for the Sally House. All of them are there. Just go to the event page. Any way you slice it, hillbillyhorrorstories.com has something for everyone on your list. <laughs>